the uh, video sermon that I did last week. And um, I appreciate that. And um, I'm willing to keep doing video sermons if uh, you are willing to let me just stay on vacation. So, you know, we can work something out there. We can work something out. So um, anyway, we had a lot of fun. Hey, I wanted to say thank you to Bev. Um, uh, out there in the lobby, there's a basket, and she made these VIP uh, bookmarks. And um, she made uh, one for everybody in here that would like to take one with them. And uh, she worked on those all by herself and just came up with that. And uh, it's kind of a response to the sermon series that we're in here entitled uh, VIP. And uh, we're continuing that uh, this morning. And so what I would like you to do as we uh, jump back into the VIP sermon series that we started at the beginning of the month, is go ahead and open up your Bible to the greatest verse in all of the Bible. Uh, and so uh, grab Bibles or pull open your app or whatever, however you uh, address your, your Bible there, um, that uh, app on your phone or tablet or whatever there. There's some few Bibles that are available and some of these around here. But uh, go ahead and turn to the greatest verse in the Bible. Go ahead and go there now. And uh, everybody's, um, and so go to the greatest verse in the Bible. And uh, what, what verse is the greatest verse in the Bible? Some of you are kind of wondering, well, uh, go ahead, Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The greatest verse in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And what does Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 say? It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what that means? Uh, that means just that. That means God created it. God made it. Uh, he started it. It's all his. Uh, he is the one that created everything. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created the beauty of the earth. You ever, you ever look at a flower? I mean, there's flowers out there. You know, there's dandelions. But you ever look really, really close at a dandelion? You know, they're, they're kind of cool. And then you ever look, look at other flowers? And it's like there's all of those colors and all of those shapes. And they're all unique and, and they're spectacular. They're, they're beautiful. God created all of those things of beauty. All those things of beauty that we see, God created those. You ever been to the mountains? You're in an opportunity to go to the mountains, and uh, you just kind of stand and you look out, and it's just majestic and it's awe-inspiring. God created that. You ever been to the uh, the ocean? You ever been to the ocean where uh, the ocean meets the big rocky cliffs? You ever been to a place like that? You hear the uh, the ocean is crashing down on that. It's it's incredible. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. And uh, when Karen and I were down in uh, Missouri, down near near uh, Table, Table Rock. Uh, near Branson, um, we we've been vacationing down there the last five years, and and uh, we keep driving by this sign, and it said the uh, Talking Caverns, and we never uh, been there, and um, and I told Karen this year, I said I want to see this place, I want to see the Talking Caverns, and and so we bought little tickets and went in there, and what this is a big hole in the ground, and uh, so they open this door, and uh, you go in this hole in, in the ground, and the hole was 130 feet deep, and you're down in this cavern and it was spectacular it's all lit up and the, the rock the the light tights and the stalactites the lights and and there were these place where the water was running and dripping and making all of these colorful weird shapes and and here um, listen they didn't discover this place until 1926 you know what that means for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years nobody even knew it was there god knew it was there God created this place. It was spectacular. It was incredible. It was beautiful. God made the heavens and the earth. He did that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know what God, God did? God created 
God created human beings. God created us. People. People. He created us. And the, the people, people can be funny. People, guess what? People can be funny. Did you know that? I don't know if you were here last week or not. Some of you were here and maybe you watched that video of Tim Hawkins playing guitar. And, the, you know, these are the things that you don't say to your wife. Maybe you remember that. That's funny. And I don't know if you thought that was funny. I thought that's funny. And people are creative. People are creative. I mean, all of the things. And, and uh, they're productive and creative. And, and uh, my wife and I had the opportunity years back to go on this architecture tour of downtown Chicago. And you get in the boat. And then you go. And you know, the buildings that they create, people do that. And, you know, people. God made people with the ability to do that. And, and they're productive. And you go down here. To, uh, I like watching. I was able to watch them kind of build over the last few years that I-74 bridge. You seen that thing? The big, the big arches that are there. Suspension bridge. People are productive and they're creative and they're funny. And God, God makes all of those things. In the beginning, God created all of that. He knew what He was doing. He created all of that. Here's, here's what that means. Write this down. People were created. People were created. And people have purpose. And people have value. People were created, and people have purpose, and people have value. Write that down in your bulletin that God did all of that. In the beginning, God created it all. And people were created, and they have purpose, and they have value. You know what that means? That means this. Write this down. You. You. Point to the person to say, you. Point to say, you are a VIP. You are very important to God. You are not an accident. You are very important to God. God made all of this for us. And he says, I'm putting you there. He says, take over it. And he says, I want to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to take care of this place and look after it. And look at the way that people have been able to do all of these fantastic things. Here's what Psalm chapter 139, verse 13 says. David talking to God. He's explaining to him. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God did that. In the beginning, God created all that stuff. You should feel good about that. Listen, you should feel good about the, uh, all the beauty of the earth and the way God has made us. And God does another thing. He does another thing. Listen to this. Book of John, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Yet to all who did receive him. Who's the him? That's Jesus. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior? Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. He wants to adopt all of us into his family. Listen, God created it all. He created people who are spectacular and amazing. And he says, and I want you all to be in my family. You are a VIP. God says, I love you. Created all this. I want you to be a part of my household and my kingdom, and I want you to be in my family. That, my friends, if you don't know it, that's good news. That's all good news. However, watch this. However, truth is, we live in America. And in America, you're free. Now, you're free. You are free in America. And here's the truth. A lot of people, a lot of people adopt this. A lot of people move right in on this. A lot of people like this. Here's the truth. You do not have to believe that God created anything. In fact, you do not have to believe that there is even a God. You don't have to. 
You don't have to believe that there is a God. You're free to believe that. You can say, there is no God, and that's what I believe. You are free to do that. But here's what I want you to understand. If, in fact, there is no God, if there is no God, then this is also true, that people are an accident, and that people are meaningless, and people are disposable. Uh, because hey, here's the reality. This is the truth. If God didn't create it, and we're all a part of a cosmic accident that there were these gases that were in the atmosphere, and as a result of a random occurrence and a big bang, uh, we absolutely are meaningless. We are an accident. We are meaningless. We are disposable. Uh, here's a guy. Maybe you heard of this guy. Um, you ever heard of Thomas Edison? Raise your hand if you ever heard of Thomas Edison. You ever heard of Thomas Edison? All right. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. The light bulb. And uh, one of the things that Thomas Edison uh, said, he said, Thomas Edison, I have never failed. I have only found 10,000 ways that don't work. Right? And it said that Thomas Edison had an office, and outside of the window of his office, it said uh, that there was a pile, a giant, giant pile of light bulbs that did not work. And he would try the light bulb, and they couldn't figure out, you know, the vacuum was the secret to the thing, the filament in there would it'd burn up right away. And they were so excited when they got one that lasted about a minute, you know, and then it, it would burn off. And, and so he'd take that one, he'd throw it out of the pile, and then he'd try again, he'd throw it out of the pile, and throw it out of the pile. And this is a big pile of mistakes on its way to becoming something that is better. And that's, if there is no God, that's you and me. We are a giant pile of mistakes on our way. There's this evolutionary process on our way to something. Now, what do we know about the incandescent light bulb today? How many of you are replacing and disposing your incandescent light bulbs? Because that technology has improved now you're putting in the LED bulb, right? And so, hey, here's the reality. If there is no God, people are just a big accident, and they're a big mistake, and I want you to understand if, if in fact, uh, that's true, and, uh, and there is no God, and we are all this big accidents, uh, then uh, Margaret Sanger, Margaret Sanger, she's right. She is, in fact, right. And uh, you all know who Margaret Sanger is? Margaret Sanger, let's put a picture of Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger is this lady. And uh, Margaret Sanger is the, she's the lady, uh, you can see there at the bottom of that thing, it says her father was known as the village atheist. Uh, she was an atheist. She believed there was no God. And so uh, she kind of moved in on this idea that people are kind of worthless and they're on their way to uh, becoming a superior people. There's a superior people out there. And so in order to accelerate the process of getting rid of the inferior people on the way to having a more superior person, uh, she invented and created, she is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And Planned Parenthood uh, was this place where inferior people could go and then their babies could be removed from them. See, that's what that's Planned Parenthood. That, and this is what she said. And she said that uh, Margaret Sanger, the uh, founder of Planned Parenthood, uh, she founded it October 16, 1916. And in order, the goal of Planned Parenthood, in order to eliminate what she thought were inferior races like Orientals and Jews and Blacks, she referred to them as human weeds. Now, if there is no God, then she's right, according to her. 
You know who else agreed with that idea? You know who else who agreed with that idea that uh, if there is no God, then uh, we're kind of free to do whatever and be whatever and think whatever, and, and there's no there's no consequences for any of your actions or anything like that. A lady named Amanda Maria O'Hara. You know who she is, right? You know who Amanda Maria is? And uh, she was the lady in 1963 that took a, a court case all the way to the Supreme Court and had prayer removed, had prayer removed from the schools, right? Because she thought that maybe if, uh, like, she said her son was an atheist and that, uh, and he, who later grew up to become a Christian uh, and an evangelical Christian, uh, but she she didn't want, uh, if there was a prayer in school, somebody might hear a prayer and then that might lead them to God and then they might become a Christian because of uh, the, the so-called false separation between a church and state. And so she had prayer, but went to the Supreme Court to have prayer removed from school. Now, she was an atheist. She was an atheist. I think I have a picture of her too, right? A picture of her. And she said, God is dead. She said, God, there's a quote from her. God, there is no God. God is dead. Now, uh, so Margaret Sanger, what she did, believing that there is no God and that, you know, people are accidents and there's all these kind of things. What she did is that she surrounded herself with like-minded people that said there is no God. And she started a thing called the American Atheist Institute. And she surrounded herself with people who said there is no God and believed all of those things. And she employed some people. And then those people, they all lived by the motto that people, uh, you know, are an accident or they're meaningless and they're disposable. And so uh, one of the people that she employed, uh, do, you, do you know how she died? You all know how Margaret Sanger died? Uh, one of the people that she employed decided that the $600,000 that was in the American uh, Atheist Institute's bank account would better serve them than anybody else. And so uh, one of the employees stole the $600,000 out of it. And then in order to get away with that, well, then you need to dispose of anyone that might object to that. And so he kidnapped Margaret Sanger and her son and, and her granddaughter and took them all out, killed them, dismembered them, buried them out. And you know what? Uh, because at the time, Margaret Sanger was the most hated woman in the world. Nobody even looked for them. Uh, it's true, true story. Now, a year went by before anybody even looked for them because they were just glad that, that she was gone. But when you surround yourself with like-minded people that way that believe you're disposable and worthless and, you know, you're just, that might happen to you too. Now, what I want you to know is that I, and I'm confident you, believe that there is, in fact, a God that created us and that we don't fall into that trap and uh, uh, we don't want to be a part of anything like that. And so I believe that we were created and God goes on to give us another a secondary VIP status. Okay? You have that see the contrast between the, there is no God and there is a God. And those are the consequences of no God. But then God, he does this thing for us. So he goes on to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. I created you. I created you. I created you. Okay? He goes on to say this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19 to 21. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man, only Adam existed at this time, was the only human being on earth, just Adam, uh, to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living uh, creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and uh, in, in, in the wild and the wild animals. 
but for Adam, no suitable helper was formed. So God makes man, makes all the animals. Adam, you name all the animals, but there is not a suitable helper for him. So, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and that would be from his side, right? And then closed it in the place of the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. No, there's some more. The woman was made from this man's side. Now you've heard this maybe in a way. And not from a part of the top of him that she might lord over him, or not from his foot that he might lord over her, but from his side, that they would be companions in life, that men and women are made for each other to be companions. That's why men and women are different, because they fill in the gaps. That are, the man falls short, the woman falls short, and the men fill in the gaps, and they help each other out, do all those things. It's all part of God's plan. And then the verse 23 goes on and says, The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she felt, uh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why, then listen to this verse very carefully, verse 24. And that is why a man leaves his father and his mother. A man, is, a man is supposed to grow up and leave his father and mother. Not live in the basement until he's really, really old. A man is supposed to grow up, he's supposed to get a job, he's supposed to take care of business and take care of himself. And then after he does that, and he's capable of doing that, he's smart enough to do that, wise enough, capable to do that. This, this is what a man, this is what a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. See, there's a progression there. First he grows up, then he moves out, then he goes out and he finds himself a bride. That's what a man is supposed to do, finds his wife. And then, after they find a bride, then they become one flesh. The man and the woman come together and form one flesh, one bond, one partnership. This is formed by and intended by God. Write this down. Marriage is a VIP relationship that is given by God. Marriage is a VIP relationship that is given by God. Now listen, you don't have to believe there's a God. You can believe you're an accident. Or you can believe that you are created by a loving God that loves you, and he has established that we have all these creative abilities, and that we have a purpose here on earth. And then you can believe that God created a marriage institute that he has put men and women into. That's what God did. Adam and his wife, goes on verse 25, says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. This is the context in which God created Adam and Eve. Put them in the garden, everything was good, and they were there. And the truth is, is that uh, there is uh, piles and mountains of evidence that show that when children are born into a loving married relationship, that they're the most successful, the most productive, and that is by God's design. Marriage is a VIP relationship. And that's the design that God has put into place. There's also mountains and piles of evidence that, that show that when we do not do life by God's design, that that is the hardest way to go through life. That's just the truth. That's facts. That's evidence. All around us is another truth. Think about this. The greatest joys on earth that are known to mankind, the greatest joys on earth 
are known in the context of a loving marriage. Think about it. Intimacy, laughter, raising children, family, coming together, grandparents, grandchildren. All of these things are designed to be a part of God's VIP relationship. You are a VIP, and God desires that you would have that opportunity to be a part of that VIP relationship. However, however, we know that Adam and Eve went from naked and not ashamed in the garden to naked and ashamed in the garden, right? They, there was the fall, mankind in the garden. And then God it removed them from the garden of Eden. And uh, Cain, uh, uh, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel. And then for generation after generation after generation after generation, even though God created all of these things, all of mankind was living apart and separated from God. Do you remember that? Remember that in, in the Genesis? When you go through uh, the story of Noah, people are far away from God, and far away from God, far away from God. Not living in VIP relationship with God. However, what does God do? God shows up. Remember the nation of Israel? They uh, they're enslaved in Egypt, and then they go through the promise or the wilderness before they make their way into the promised land. And God calls them all together, and He says, uh, "There's something that I want you to know. Something I want you to know. You're a VIP, and you're a nation of VIPs." But there is a way that I want you to live when you are in my VIP status. Because you are VIP, and I want you to know how to live. And this might be just simply review from last week, because I'm confident y'all memorized it, y'all watched it again online this week. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. God goes to his VIP nation, and he says, These commands that I give you today. What, what ones were they giving them today? Well, if you back up a little bit, you read through Deuteronomy chapter 5, you read the Ten Commandments. These commandments that I give you today, he says, are to be on your hearts. We talked about this last week. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them on symbols on your hands, bind them on your forehead, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. God says, you're a VIP. And the children that you have are going to be raised in that VIP context. And then I want you to teach them how much I love them by showing them what is right and what is wrong. He says, teach your children they are a VIP in the kingdom of heaven. We are to teach our children that they are VIPs in the kingdom of heaven. Your children don't have to believe that there is a God, but they need to understand there are consequences for those beliefs. However, teach them there is a loving God. He loves them. He created them. And they are very important to you. Teach them this. Their parents have God-given VIP status. Teach your kids that your parents, their parents, you teach your kids or teach your grandkids that their parents have VIP status given to them by God. 
and they need to honor them and pay attention to them. We'll get that up in just a little bit. Finally, write this one down. Teach your children how the Creator God knows what's best. He knows what's best. And He tells us what's best. All right, when was the last time you reviewed the Ten Commandments? Since there's silence in the room, I'm going to assume that wasn't this morning. So uh, hope the person next to you is say, let's go through the Ten Commandments. Say, hey, let's go through the Ten Commandments. Here we go. Are you ready?
God wants me to, and um, false religions are misusing the name of God. Don't do it. There is only one God, and he has a son named Jesus. And so don't misuse the name of God. Then he goes on and says, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Today, by New Testament standards, biblical Jesus standards, uh, that would mean uh, make sure you're in church. That means they gathered together, they spent time in prayer together, and they focused on scripture together, and they got together, and they focused on who Jesus is. And that would mean prioritize. And that's hard. That's hard. That's hard sometimes because there are other things that call you away, and they become more important. And he says, no, focus. Focus on The only reason that God gives us any of this is because he loves us and he knows what's best. And he says, live this way. And he goes on. You shall not murder. What's murder? What's murder? What's murder? Um, you know, I hope you know, do you know, um, the Bible does not say thou shalt not kill. It does not say thou shalt not kill. The Bible does not say thou shalt not kill. Um, what is kill? Kill is if a mosquito lands on you and, uh, you know, and if the Bible says thou shalt not kill, then I have just committed a crime against God. The Bible does not say thou shalt not kill. If I go hunting, and you know, for, for a long time, you couldn't go to the grocery store. The only way that they could, uh, you know, that was they had to kill the animals, right? And so the Bible doesn't say don't kill. Uh, the Bible says do not murder. Do not murder. There's a difference between killing and murdering. Uh, killing is the justifiable ending of a life. That's why capital punishment is okay, because there's a... a Crime has been committed, and the justifiable ending, or the punishment for that, is that they should live no more. Took the life, they deserve capital punishment. That, that's why you can justify capital punishment, okay? This is true, because the Bible doesn't say, uh, don't kill. That's murder. Murder is the unjustifiable ending of a life. The unjustifiable. Now, here's why I can defend my home. Here's why if there's a burglar that's breaking through the door and my wife and my children are behind me and the only way that I'm going to stop that burglar from getting to me or attacking my family, I can pull the trigger if they're inside my house because I can kill that person because it is a justifiable death for that person. I don't ever want to be in that situation. I, I hope nobody's ever in that situation, but that's why you can defend your property in your home. You can do that. Murder is the unjustifiable ending of a life. That's why I can't sneak around and say to myself, well, since there is no God, I might as well take that life. If there is no God, I might as well take it. So, because God says you're valuable and we cannot unjustifiably end a life. That's what that is. And so, you know, Jesus says don't, don't even be angry. Don't get angry. He's been turning that in. Uh, but, uh, but we need to understand these things. God says this is the best way to live. He says, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus says, they should not even look lustfully after somebody else. Uh, hey, listen, that's tough. I want to hear this. I want to hear this. Um, June, maybe a 
you're familiar with this fact. Maybe you've seen it on the news. June is Pride Month, and uh, it's uh, where you see a lot of rainbow-colored flags. And June is Pride Month, and that means that uh, we are supposed to uh, sort of accept, lovingly accept and embrace uh, people from the LGBTQ community, and you know that's what that's what that means, okay? And, um, and here's what here's the problem in the church. Here's the problem in the church with you and me, is that we we like to uh, stand back and push back uh, on that. When we drive down the road and we see the lady there's got the rainbow flags up, and when we drive down that road, we say, you know, why do why do we have to see this stuff? Why why do you know why why are they why are they pushing their agenda on us? Do we we know that that's sexual sin and God doesn't like that, and we roll our eyes at that. We but it says you shall not commit adultery, and Jesus says that you don't even commit the sin of lust. LGBTQ and heterosexuals. That's the sin. The lust sin. The lust sin. And to say that one of those letters in the alphabet has problems with the lust sin more than another letter in the alphabet, that's just wrong. It's just wrong. And so we all have to hold that in check when it comes to committing adultery. We've got to hold the lust thing in check by God's standard. You shall not steal. That one, that one probably be just one to explain. You know what that one means? Not yours. Don't take it. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't don't try to deceive other people. And then you shall not crave your neighbor's stuff. Shall not cover neighbor's wife. Don't. They've got it. Be content with what you have because you are a VIP. And God has created the VIP marriage. Says, raise your children to know that God loves you and cares for you, and that when you walk away from God and abandon God, that you are abandoning a whole lot more than this idea of I can't see God, so I don't believe Him. You're abandoning a whole lot more. So draw the family in and know you are a VIP. Conclusion We live a VIP life when we live.
you are God, we are not. You are the creator and we are not. Father, help us to live graciously and humbly with gratitude as we lean our lives into you. We ask this in Jesus' name.